0: Hey. Eh? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Bricklands with the podcast. I lost, I lost, I lost, I I I Welcome to another bricklands.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Royce Gorsuch. Hello, Royce. Hello, hello. Excited to be here. Right, I'm sat in London, East London. Where am I talking to you?
1: Well, right now I'm in a little town known as the City of Angels in Los Angeles, California. That's no little
0: town. I've been there. (laughs) It's It's like a space alien invented cities because it's like no other city I've ever visited in my life.
1: Absolutely. The the microcosms. There's a group of aliens in every you know square mile that are different from the others. <laughs> it makes it great.
0: Yeah, it's like it's sort of like I live in London, and London can prepare you for New York because you know they're pretty similar. But it doesn't prepare you for Los, for Los Angeles. It's a bonkers. It literally is a bonkers city.
1: <laughs> it's so true. It's its own beast. That's for sure. Are
0: you are you a are you a like a, a a born and bred Los Angeles person or are you someone that that came there for movies?
1: Yeah, exactly. I I came there for film and I started my journey of life up in Oregon, which is the state to the north of California. Yes. And it's uh, much different. It's very green, um, it's very woody and sort of uh more country. There there are some metropolitan areas, but it's overall um you know kind of a, a rural state. And so LA to me seemed like the big monster that uh you know I, I really feared moving to for a long time as I grew older, but uh you know when I got into my twenties uh I realized that that's the place to go make movies, obviously. And I joined so many others and took the trek there and had a, a lot of ups and downs on the way and, and now you know I'm excited to have made my first feature film. So well, congratulations! Set, yeah, thank you. It, it's great because it's also set in Los Angeles. It's very uh, connected to LA, and I'll tell you that whole story in a bit. But okay. It's, it's cool. Well, look,
0: the title of your film is Mind Hack. And I'm right. Is that mind hack hashtag save the world? Is that the full title, or is it mind hack?
1: Yeah, the title is mind hack, and hashtag save the world is uh, sort of a log line, uh, or a, you know a byline that we've added to it. Okay. So
0: for the purposes of those of us who've not seen it, uh, and those that won't have seen it that are going to be going to the fest to, to fright fest where the film's going to be premiering, uh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what mind hack's about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Mind Hack, for me, was born from the cover of Scientific American magazine uh, around 2012 uh, when I kept seeing these articles on the cover about mapping the human mind or uploading a brain into a computer and all Eight. sorts of other topics on the human mind. And yeah. it really really caught my eye and I said, wow, I, I have to tell a story about this. It's so interesting and the ramifications are so vast of what ripple effects will happen once scientists achieve this. And so I got to work uh, and I knew I wanted to tell uh, a small gritty story from my first film. Mm-hmm. I was looking at my my heroes, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, and a few others and they all made their first film of their own merit. You know, yeah. they, they went out and they just made it. Uh, they didn't wait for anyone to say yes to them. They didn't do it in the system. They didn't work, you know, doggedly for 15 years up the ladder to get to the point to make their first film. They just did it. And I, I really spoke to me and who I am. And so I, this is the long version of the answer of the synopsis by the way. <laughs> so. You you take you take you take whichever you want to go mate you go whichever way. <laughs> okay. So so long story short I I I whittled and whittled and I've done countless drafts of this story uh because it's obviously when you see it uh very complex and mind bending and simple in ways but what I what I ended up with which excites me is it's about a young mad genius who's attempting to hack the human mind in order to fix humanity. Right. So essentially he wants to reprogram the human brain to fix all of our problems. And as the story moves along, you quickly realize that he himself is insane. Uh, he's a madman, and he has uh, multiple personalities. Uh, he's got multiple issues with him. He's a very ironic guy. Uh, he's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. And as we progress through the story, um, he faces, you know, foes, he faces friends, uh, and ultimately ends up accomplishing his goal. But I think through this journey, uh, he, he looks at it in a completely different way by the end. And that's, that's what the film is about. Right so uh
0: so not not boy saves girl then <laughs> <laughs> Correct <laughs> Well look I mean this, this is this is like the, the the sort of new frontier isn't it for uh, for 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 uh, for film for film and, and and um and fiction writers because we, we we are we are at a brink of something aren't we we've 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 arguably gone in the last fifty years further technologically speaking than the previous seven hundred. You know, we're we're an absolute space race with God knows who we're in the space race with, but I mean obviously somebody wants to make profits and that's pushing a lot of it. And I'm interested in the way you describe it in the sense of, you know, hack the human mind in order to fix humanity. And just the arrogance of the notion that that somebody could go, I know what's wrong with the human brain, and if I could just upload the latest Adobe PDF reader <laughs> i will I will make the world a better place so when you were design when designing, when you were kind of developing the story where did that where did you get that hook that notion of yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm buying it that people are trying to understand the brain, plug into the brain, upload and download. But the idea of, I know, somebody's going to be mad enough to think they can... I mean, literally, it's like, it's like you're suggesting you're going to brainwash humanity to make humanity good. Does that sound too much of an exaggeration?
1: No, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's why when the film first starts out, uh, I feel that the the audience is going to be rooting for the main character. But as you kind of learn more and more what he's up to, suddenly things turn, and and that's when I hope people start questioning him and say, wow, this guy actually is maybe not that that good of a guy, or he's very dangerous. Mm. (laughs) And I also really aim to capture the ethos of uh, what I call digital natives or the generation that that I'm a part of and, and younger than myself, where the ethos is I can change the world from my bedroom yeah like mark like Mark Zuckerberg did with Facebook, I think that that's sort of the beginning right he's sort of the first of that uh, personality type of many to come uh, because That's what my character is. He's a guy who's making this happen in his garage. Mm -hmm. And that was something I really wanted to do is I wanted to pull it out of the billion dollar laboratory where this is actually taking place in modern society and put it into a a cool, gritty underground world, uh, a cyberpunk world that I'm a huge fan of. I love cyberpunk. And I hadn't seen it in the mainstream or in the zeitgeist really lately. Um, and, of course, remember, I started this two or, or three years ago. So, okay. you know, now we're, starting to, now we're starting to see some of this stuff out there uh, in cyberpunk. But I was, you know, when I started, I hadn't seen it for a while. So I really wanted to take this story and set it in that world and, and make this character very ironic and very dangerous. Uh, and, and but also someone you empathized with, so it, it's very. Uh, I hope ironic is the word that that people kind of leave with. Hmm. Well, I've, I've been
0: just apropos of no reason really. I've been listening to a podcast series called Robo Psych. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all.
1: I'm, I'm not. That sounds interesting.
0: It's from a Stanford University professor, and all he's looking at is the ethics of artificial intelligence not not the how not the ones and zeros that are going to make it happen but hypothetically ethically what does it mean for humanity if we allow digital to you know become part of human so i.e. if you could make a replica of Royce that looks and feels and talks like Royce have we created another species for example you know Does this thing, does does Royce 2 deserve protection under law or is it just the same as a bicycle? It's been made and it just exists because we created it. It's that, and I guess with the stories you've been reading, you know, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk have all been saying, be careful what we wish for. Because when we press the button and go, we know how to do this now, it's going to turn around, technology's going to turn around to us hypothetically speaking and say, I only needed you to switch the button on. You can fuck off now. I don't need you. I'm going to take over your (laughs) life. And I guess you're putting that, I guess you're putting that into that kind of flawed journey into the hands of someone who thinks they can achieve it.
1: Absolutely. And I'm really glad you you picked up on all those cues because you're exactly right. Um, This story for me, comes from mm. a sort of a multiverse of, um, figures out there discussing this topic. Mm. Um, and there's the, the interesting part is there are so many different approaches to this topic. Um, essentially of a, you know, conscious mind inside of a computer and what the ramifications are. Yeah. And I've Well, part of the research for this was reading Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near, which I recommend to absolutely everyone on Earth, because he essentially is theorizing the future of humanity, and he has a track record of being correct. (laughs) And his concept essentially is that uh, human beings are made of information, are atoms, yeah, And that we, we are a, a particular group or a pattern of information. And he believes that when you put your consciousness and your pattern into a computer and then move it to maybe another body or into a robot or into the Internet and the matrix, that you'll remain an individual because of your pattern. And then others say that that's total hooey, right? Mm. And this kind of debate, I think, is really interesting. And when you, also when you mentioned Elon Musk uh, a moment ago, he is, I think, the guy who's most got his finger on the pulse of the real future coming. And you may have seen lately he's uh, created a company called Neuralink. And Neuralink is designed essentially to create a brain machine interface which connects the mind to the Internet and gives the mind potentially the uh, enhanced powers of a computer. And the, the primary thing that a computer has an advantage over a human is a perfect memory. It thinks way faster, like a million times yeah, faster yeah. Than, a hum- than a human brain, and, um, of course, the connectivity of it. So, adding those powers to the human brain is what Elon Musk is attempting to do with Neuralink, and he says very clearly he's doing it so that we can actually compete with artificial intelligence, which is going to be created, you know, most likely by Google or someone. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. you, like you said, when we when they click the button and turn on uh, Skynet, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Elon. Want human beings to be able to compete uh, with that, and that's what his goal is with that company. It's it's all crazy insane. Batman. I hadn't I hadn't heard that side of him.
0: I just all I'd heard so far was is uh, he'd invested in a lot of AI because he wanted to monitor it, not because he, he was looking to profit from it. He was thinking, I need to know what's going on because I'm scared of where hypothetically we end up, which is the, the, the you know the the Skynet thing where it just goes we're going to take over your systems because we know what to do i mean we 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 i'm talking to you what a week after facebook turned off a an experiment because the robots stuff they were using <laughs> were talking right. their own language the programmers didn't know there's stories about um there was a story on on that podcast series i listened to where the autopilot on a plane which is obviously a set of algorithms that have been created to Auto fly a plane, put the plane into the ground and kill people, and they don't know why it did it, which is pretty scary, isn't it? That they've made some that they don't know why it does what it does.
1: (laughs) Right, and it can. the 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 scariest part is self learning, right? Uh, Yeah, exponentially self improving machine. Uh, Yeah, that's that's the that's the scary part, and Yeah, these, uh-huh.
0: these these
1: are big, big concepts. So for you as a
0: screenwriter, then, how did you begin to drill down into these sort of big world, high concept problems? How did you drill down to make it into a, well, for want of a better word, a human story? How did you get to that?
1: Right. I, I'm really glad you asked that because, you know, for me, as I said earlier, I, I really was going out to make a very small budget film. And mm. so I asked myself that, that very question. I said, how do I take these really big ideas um, and put them into a really small story? And what I came up with essentially was this story is about the guy who creates the first step towards the matrix or AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Right.
1: Mm. He's the guy in the garage, He's the Einstein or the Mark Zuckerberg of AI. And he does this in his garage. And, of course, the sky is the limit after that. Um, so this is like the ultra prequel. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, this is... You're, you're taking us into this world with our eyes open, aren't you, then? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's the goal, is to get people thinking about this and, and thinking about the the gray zone, the moral gray zone of our future, you know, Mm. Um, because it used to be a lot more simple. Um, I think it's going to become just more and more complex uh, as we create these powers for ourselves via technology and how it both enhances our humanity and magnifies the, the destructive parts. Um, and that's why in the film, the, the villain character, Eden, uh, it was really important to me that he and my main character, Mason had the same goal, right? Initially, Mm -hmm. they wanted to map the human brain. They both have the same goal. They both need the same gear. Um, but then after that happened, they take very, they had very different plans and you can see that, uh, in the wrong hands, this could be absolutely catastrophic. And even in the right hands, it might be.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, right? because, because, what you're, because what you're talking about is always, if, some, if one person decides to do anything, then one person is subjectively imposing their ideals on people that don't necessarily want them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So went, when you were developing it then, how, how did you, I mean, actually thinking about do it like you say, if your ambition was to do this film that you could make yourself without anyone's permission, why did you think that going into a technological world and the production challenges that might present to you, did that seem still affordable and doable under your own steam?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm a bit crazy. No. <laughs> okay, always a good start for a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I lucky for me, I had been directing uh, branded content for many years prior to making the film. Okay. And producing as well. Got you. And. I also got into doing a little bit of commercial work um, with integrated visual effects, and that taught me a lot about that process, and it also taught me a lot about how these visual effects artists are of their own right mad geniuses, and in a way, if you have enough time and money or passion, these guys can create anything. And I say guys, guys, and girls. They, they can literally create anything. And so that's a little bit of a contingency. Of course, with my film, we had an ultra-low budget, so it was going to be about shooting the film to make it as easy for them as possible while uh, also having... The ability to kind of heighten the stakes of things, and not just have it all be completely camera lock off, or where you feel like you're looking at a green screen, or you know those kind of elements. So it was like a it was a very fine line. And I'll be honest, we definitely didn't do everything right. Um, but for me, filmmaking is truly a collaborative art, and. I really, really was incredibly lucky to have such an in, insanely talented team uh, who collected around the film. And a big shout-out goes to Chris Irvin and Velocity Ape Effects, uh, who was the mastermind behind doing our visual effects. Um, you know, a, a quick little funny story is uh, I bid the film in Los Angeles and I got, you know, six-figure bid. Oh, okay. which was yeah. equivalent to the, like, the entire production budget, right? Uh, and then I went to Chris, who I had worked with on two occasions prior in commercials, and I said, you know, this is what this film is about. This is why we did it. This is why I did it. Um, you know, and I really just ignited the artist inside of him, and he came on board for a fraction of the price, and did nearly a majority of the movie's visual effects himself. And he was out of state. He lives in a, in a small state (laughs) and he, he he had been in LA for 10 years and then he decided to get out and he moved out and he's got his little setup. um, And he works on major motion pictures from his house in the smaller state. And uh, he just decided to, to come on and, and helped me out. And, and we worked together. Um, I flew there and we sat down and we got to it and it was, it was one of the best experiences of the, of the whole film was working with him. So <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend it as the easy path. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't.
0: No, it doesn't sound. Cause it's, 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 it's a sort of, it's, it's forever a twofold process, isn't it? I'm guessing you're, you're shooting your in camera stuff that's needed, and then you're building the rest of the film out of what else it needs, which isn't in the camera, I guess. Is that right?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And and pre-visualization for visual effects is always uh, incredibly helpful to everyone, mostly on the production side, because it's it's pretty crazy what the guys can do in post, but on the production side, you got to make sure that you've pre enough to shoot the thing properly, and and also, uh, I highly and 100% recommend that you need to consult with your post teams about production, and they'll tell you all the stupid mistakes you're making. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and, and you- they'll, yeah, they'll they'll tell you about the ideas you have that aren't going to work, and so you're, you know, are you, you talk- them.
0: Are you talking about when you're at sort of script and storyboard stage? You, could, you, could, yes, you, you, yeah. can, you can, almost work with them to highlight where you're being sort of over ambitious, or where you're asking for the moon on a stick. Absolutely, absolutely. You are listening to the Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast. <laughs> Was an example of where that process sort of picked up something from your original idea and how that was changed to be to be achievable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this may sound, uh, you know, like a beginners or you know, kind of thing to some folks, and, and it may, you know, change people's um, or it may blow some people's minds. In others, it, it, this is, but this was a huge deal for us was that uh, computer monitors are very tricky to shoot because they create light. There, there's a ton of light that comes off of a computer monitor, okay. right? And the choice is, you know, do you put a green screen on there um, and shoot the green screen and so you can more easily add the visuals on the screen and post? Um, do you put markers on the screen? Do you have the screen turned on, um, you know, and the white screen just so that it creates the light from the monitor? Like those are all like there's a million ways to shoot a computer screen. Right, right, (laughs) okay. And it it can really screw you up if you don't do it uh, correctly. And so the way that we ended up doing it was after consulting with the visual effects team was uh, shoot the monitor with a – neutral screen that creates the glow, right? That you want. And you can change the color of the screen. If you want the screen to glow green, you make the screen green. If you want it to be blue, maybe blue, um, but shoot it with a neutral palette and no tracking markers because modern CGI really tracking markers are a pain in the butt because they have to go back and erase them. Okay. Um, so, so that was, I know it sounds silly and small, but that was a huge element to, to making this thing look so good was we shot with real monitor light <laughs> on the characters' faces and the, the edging on their shoulders and hands as they are working on them. Um, and then in terms of, you know, another lighting technique that was interesting, uh, there's this in the film, this is a spoiler alert, mm-hmm. but in the film there is this mystical uh, appearance of this substance that these scientists create and they don't know what it is. And it's this kind of glowing uh, golden ball of power. They don't know what it is, where it came from. And the way that we shot that is we needed to make sure that uh, there was light on the characters faces uh, from this glowing orb because it was emitting light. So on set, it's as simple as literally we hung a light bulb, <laughs> a 500-watt light bulb yeah. on a dimmer switch, and we would cue the light bulb. And so the actors have something to look at, mm-hmm. which is bright as hell, yeah. and they're lit by this thing. But if we had decided to just do all that in post, the light on the actors' faces would have been extremely challenging to recreate, almost that's one of those things that's almost impossible for a, unless you have like a million dollars to paint light on actors moving, you know? Um, so,
0: so you so the advice you were getting there in the, in the process of getting ready to shoot was almost like the two examples you've given seem like do more in camera to solve your problems. And it's almost like, it's the It's almost like counterintuitive to how you make enhanced things in post, isn't it? is the idea that you can actually do a lot of it through normal film processes before you get to the, the, the fancy-pancy computer bits.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's my, as, as, you know, for, for my MO, that's how I like to work, is shoot as much uh, effect in camera as possible and then enhance it in post. Because your guys in post are then going to be creating cooler things rather than fixing things. And I think that if I were to offer any advice is you you want your post team enhancing things, not fixing things.
0: Yes. No. That's it's almost like that should be a meme going around the filmmaker world.
1: <laughs> isn't yeah. it?
0: It's really Absolutely. really should be. Because it's it's I think it's the and it's the joke of the digital world, isn't it? I think that we, are, we, we use that expression, fix it in post has come to haunt many a person. Um, right. But the more, the more I speak to filmmakers on the podcast, the more I hear what you've described really is get it all in the... Because, I mean, it's like, it's like if you're back to, like, the, the sort of, I guess, the kind of 70s time where you get lots of cheap films that would shoot um, day for night, for example... But you could never shoot night for day, could you? That's an impossible, that's an impossible <laughs> task, isn't it? You can't bring more really? light. You can take light out. I mean, it's a very simple, obviously, process. But, but yeah, you can always make things darker, but you can never make things lighter, can you? And equally, if, if, if an actor's got light on them and the, and the light's responding to their movement and their movement is in keeping with a constant light, then when you begin to enhance it, it's based on real information isn't it if there's ones and zeros going there's light hitting that face it can it can move with the ones and zeros can it if as it were absolutely i'm glad absolutely. i'm, glad I'm right. making sense because i'm about as technical as a spanner truth be told but <laughs> I, but i feel like i feel like i've learned a bit from you just listening to this conversation there's an irony though isn't it given, there's an irony given what your film is about that to achieve the jiggery-pokery of this fantastical world that you want us to believe we're going into, you're doing things without that first.
1: <laughs> it's, a... <laughs> it's absolutely true. The tru- yeah, the tru- uh, all the screens in the film were, were made in post, and uh, truth be told, I did not know what... I knew the general information on the screens, but I did not have a... Pre-vis of the uh, graphic design style of the user interfaces or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that, that all came later and, and, but it's true, but it's like, you got to get your, your foundation set. And the foundation is the light <laughs> coming yeah. from the monitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, I can
0: totally, I could totally pitch what you're saying because it's uh, it's, it's, it, when you see it done badly, it, it look, it, you know, it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like the right. It's not, it doesn't look like what it's meant to look like. So immediately you're kind of like, what's going on? It's sort of, and that shouldn't be a thought when you're just watching a simple scene of someone sat in front of a computer screen, for example. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so can I ask you, in terms of when you were, what what was, um, what would you, what do you remember being the sort of toughest sort of storytelling challenges for you, in terms of trying to make this work? You know, make it what work. What were the kind of things that were sort of that you had to overcome in terms of um, the kind of big idea you had and the idea of, you know, the logic and moving somebody forward? And it sounds like what you're talking about is somebody learns that actually we don't need all that power. So let's just maybe, maybe let's just take things a bit slower and understand it a bit more before we jump in with both feet.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, let me ask you kind of off the record, do you want a production story or more on the higher concept of like the writing and and kind of forming the story? Of no it?
0: i'm 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 a screenwriter, so for me, I'd love to know from your screenwriting point of view where where yeah. you began to sort of what what were the knots that you had to work through in terms of trying to achieve the story for Mind that you got in the
1: end right, yeah, absolutely, well. In terms of the story and screenplay for Mind Hack, I literally rewrote the script about 36 times. Just 36 <laughs> times, Royce? Bloody hell! That's amazing. <laughs> Did
0: you go word yeah. blind in the end?
1: <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go on. What, so, what was, so what was happening over those 36 drafts you were doing? What was what was you? What was what, what from draft one? Was 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 fixed by draft thirty six. What was what was happening in that process? What were you achieving?
1: Yes. Well, the evolution of the screenplay over the thirty six drafts really changed in a lot of different ways, and remained true to the central idea at the same time. Okay. Um, really, what I was doing was what I would call changing the window dressing of the thing and the core idea was always the same and what I wanted to do with the film was I wanted to make something that was of course mind-bending and thought-provoking and unique but I also wanted to do it in a classical structure for the most part that made people feel familiar with what we were doing. And then at the end, obviously we totally like twist your mind. Got you. And so the, so I had this film written and it was mind bending. <laughs> I accomplished that in the first draft. Right? <laughs> and then, And then what I did was I went back and I really started looking at the character arc and the major change that I made was essentially having the two selves of the main character. Mm -hmm. He has a, a multiple personality. I had their arcs cross each other. Right. Okay. And this is a spoiler alert, but Essentially, the main character brings his imaginary friend to life, and, or so he thinks. Okay. And their arcs cross each other, where in the beginning, the imaginary friend is driving the main character to step up his intensity, to break his own moral code, to do greater and greater deeds to accomplish the goal. But then, once the imaginary friend becomes real he essentially says, this is a bunch of (laughs) horseshit. I'm going to go like live my life as a hedonist essentially and go off the rails. And he's like, I'm going to go meet some girls. I'm going to go do a little drugs. Like I'm going to have, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm no longer tethered to this guy and his crazy, you know, dream to hack the brain. Like now that I'm real, I don't care. I could care less. So, and, and they both kind of crossed each other. And it, the, that was the thing that was really difficult to work out mm. from the first draft was, was how to orient that in a way that was interesting, um, that worked, that was motivated, and all of that stuff. And then in terms of the structure of the story, um, the, the biggest lesson I would say that I learned from writing this film over and over and over and then making the film and then cutting the film was that film ultimately is structure. It truly is structure. And for me, that was the last thing I wanted to learn as a screenwriter was, was structure. I wanted to, I cared about the characters, the visuals, the scenes, the details, like all that stuff. But But truly, if you don't have your structure nailed, then the coolest visual will not mean a thing. The most interesting character moment might seem out of place or whatever. And it's like film is truly structure, and it's a series of images put together next to one another that create this fabric of a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is your structure. Do, and, do you, do you simply do you, do you
0: simply mean beginning, middle, end, and and obviously whatever that means in more detail? But is that what you mean by structure?
1: Yeah, and and I mean the you know some of the the, the tried and true methods out there. Um, you know, the the save the cat is one version. The three act structure is the bigger version of that. Okay. Um, you know, there's there's Hollywood formulas, et cetera, et cetera, and. And some of these formulas are very detailed of, like, what happens between page 15 and 25? What happens between 25? And and at first, for me, I rejected those things and said, that's a bunch of hooey, right? But what I learned in this process is starting in a place that has a really defined and successful structure is a great place to write your first draft from. And then oh, you can make it, mi- yeah. And then you can make it more mind-bending as you go. But if you start off like I did, super mind-bending, and work towards a more, uh, um, work towards a more kind of normal structure or a familiar structure, that that makes it more difficult, I think, in my opinion. That's that's what i say I learned in, in writing this film is I kind of did it a little bit backward.
0: Okay. Okay. So you kind of, you kind of learned there was deck chairs and then you learned to where to put them. <laughs> instead of, yeah. instead, 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 <laughs> it's like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's sort of usually, usually the process is like move the deck chairs around, but you found the deck chairs first, then you learned to move them around. Okay. Got you. All right.
1: Yeah. But then, but then it, and I think, Cool. Yeah, I think that artists, the, you know, screenwriters, artistic people, anyone with a drive to tell stories, uh, in at least in my opinion, is a little bit of a rebel uh, compared to the rest of society. And so we have a little bit of rebellious nature where we want to say, oh, screw the rules, right? Mm. Or I, I can do it better than Hollywood or, you know, uh, mainstream cinema, but... The truth is is that they've perfected that over 100 years, and so if you take their thing, uh, you can use their thing and twist it on its head, but if you start there, you're starting from a very familiar place for the audience, I guess is what I'm saying. Well,
0: funny so, enough, funny enough. Probably, no, no, it's perfect. If that's your experience, then that's perfect sense. I mean, I was, I was talking in a previous podcast comparing the novel to the screenplay, and because somebody, one of the films at Fright Fest this year is is an adaptation of, uh, well, 68 Kill, is a adaptation of a novel. And in, in novels, you're allowed, and nobody bats an eyelid, characters to drop into the story, unresolved, disappear. Whereas in a movie, certainly ones with the kind of what we're talking about with that Anglo-Saxon narrative of, beginning, middle, end, you know, three acts, five acts, whatever you want to call it. If I introduce a character and just let it fall off without it ever, there's a, dis, there's a, there's a dissatisfaction, isn't there, to the, to the viewing experience because you're going, what happened to that? To the woman called Nellie? She was really important for about ten minutes. <laughs> and, then, and, yeah. then we ne- and then we never saw her again. In a novel, you wouldn't think twice about that character because you just go, okay. And, and, and it's, I'd never thought about it too much before, but in that conversation during the 68 Kill, it was, it was like, well, yeah, the novel's been around for hundreds of years. Film is but, what, 100 years old? And the language of cinema, as talkies, is not even 100 years old, really, yet, is it? We're still, we're still reaching the end of the first century of talking cinema. So, in a way, the language of cinema is, is, is still new. The rules that have, have happened seem to work the ones what you've experienced here and when you don't do them sometimes it's good but often it just drags and doesn't doesn't make you want to see what happens next or certainly at the screenplay right. stage don't want to make you want to read the next 10 pages because you kind of go i don't care
1: <laughs> right that that's the absolute truth is in film because it is the, a limited time medium and it's Often viewed a majority of the times all in one sitting for a feature length. Mm. Um, the it's essentially about the audience uh, paying off their expectations. So you create expectations or a setup, mm. and then you pay them you pay them off. So then they feel satisfied, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. you if you've,
0: you've made them think, and then you've rewarded them for thinking,
1: right? And, so and with my my film we definitely are are a little offbeat or risky in that in, in in that sense of things in terms of the payoff but that is one of the main things i i wanted to do with the film is in the ending i really wanted people to to say wow what just happened and i want them to add it up i want them to go back and look at the clues look at the different elements, and and try to put it together. And I I really, it's a different ending. It doesn't expel it out for people. And I've really loved that because I've had a lot of my viewers come up with their own theories that I never even thought of. And that experience has been amazing for me because that's exactly what I wanted to do with the ending of the film is we've had this entire hour and a half setup, up and then this payoff happens and it is satisfying but it also is not and it makes you scratch your head and and i and i like that about it and it's unique and um, that was the goal with it. it it might make some people it might piss some people off but yeah, most yeah. people ha- have enjoyed it so well look you're, so.
0: you're, you're dealing in in a sci-fi storyline you're dealing in technology and sort of Given as a nightmare vision of the future, so what? What do you? Is is there anything in terms of what you've managed to achieve in, in mind hack where you've kind of staked a claim for like a a new rule or a new element of where you think this nightmare might go that you've come up with as part of mind hack? What? What are you? What? What? What staging post in terms of the nightmare vision ahead have you created? A new look at from what you've from like the where your idea spawn. Reading the what was it. American Scientist magazine-ish articles, and obviously tackling yeah. a subject which is hacking the human mind and all what that might lead to, or all that, what all may need to, to, to achieve that. Is there anything in, 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 in mind that where you think, yeah, I've I've put something new on the sci-fi map here with this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I. The first thing I'll say is that if you tried to pinpoint one great filmmaker that I uh, idolized, it'd be impossible because I basically stole from all of them. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) Um, I, you know, when I look at the film and think about what kind of mark I've made with the film Mm -hmm. uh, or or new element that I've added to the game, uh, you know, I think it really comes down to having the end not spell out every detail of what you just saw okay. and it can be frustrating, I think, but I think it also, the idea is to get you to think, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's the name of the movie, right? It's a mind hack and it, it's meant to, get people talking. And I've had that response from early viewers where they say, you know, my wife and I talked about this for like an hour afterwards, or gosh, I was thinking about it the next day. And that's really what I was trying to do. Uh, ultimately was of course I want to entertain people. That's mission. Number one, mission. Number two for me is I want them to think about the world in a new way, and my approach was to highlight contemporary scientific experiments, put it into a cool world, yeah, and ask the question: Is this a good thing? You know, and I think that my favorite science fiction films do that, and so I'm I'm not doing anything new there, but you know, like Ex Machina, uh, you know, was I think one of the greatest films of that year. Without, a, it, doubt. It, it Without a doubt. You, leaves you reeling, you know, and, and I'm hoping that I did a little service to that style of science fiction filmmaking.
0: Excellent. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us this insight into your movie to preview it ahead of um, showing at Fright Fest. What's the, um, is this, is, what premiere are we talking? A European, a world premiere, uh,
1: yeah, this, we played at the uh, film market in Cannes, and this will be the, uh, I would say, the European festival premiere. Excellent. Excellent. Are you, are you going to be in town for your film showing at Fryfest? Yes, absolutely. I, I will absolutely be there. So there's I gonna look
0: be, forward to it. So there'll, be, so there'll be a Q&A for all those people scratching their heads, going, what the fuck <laughs> has he just said was going to happen?
1: Yeah, and I've told people, they ask me, what was, what did happen exactly? And the only way you'll ever know is if you buy me a cold beer in downtown L.A. and it's (laughs) (laughs) one-on-one. Well, look, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. I I really appreciated your question. Very insightful and really, really great.
0: So thank you. My pleasure. Well, look, record's off now. You have been listening to oh, yeah. The Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast.